Well, this morning we're going to open up in the book of Philippians. We have finished Exodus after a wonderful year walking through the book of Exodus. We closed out Exodus the end of November, and now we're beginning a new series uh, that will be in through the beginning of April. Uh, as you can see from this great graphic that Zach put together, we're entitling this series Gospel Culture. So allow me just a few moments to kind of set up where we're going to be going for the next three months uh, before we dive into Philippians. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to Philippians. We'll be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> uh, so the word culture, let's say a working definition, is a way of life for an entire society. That can be a nation, it could be a region like the Western culture or Eastern culture, it could even be a people group. So it's a really broad definition, right, where you can have Caribbean culture, American culture, all different kinds of cultures. It captures this idea of the way of life, customs, traditions, arts, social institutions, achievements, etc. So it's really even hard to try to define it well, but being that we're all human, I imagine that you can get a picture of what it means to be a part of any culture. Well, as we look through the word of God, what we'll see is there's a gospel culture. There's a way of life that the scriptures let us know is right for the saints. There are traditions, customs, social institutions, if you will, that the Lord has put in place for his bride so that we can live in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And so as we walk through Philippians over the next three months, we're going to be looking at these hallmarks, these stamps, if you will, that help to define a gospel culture. Again, this is not going to be a, a series where we talk theories, ideas. We're going to get nuts and bolts practical. There's a way of life that's worthy of the gospel, and we want to live that way until the day that the Lord calls us home. So this morning, we're going to dive into the first way that we are to live as saints, as followers of our Lord and Savior. Before we jump into the text, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you, a gracious and merciful God, would rescue would redeem, would call us to be a part of your family. And Lord, as we look to your word on this morning, it's our heart's desire that you would speak to us a right now word that would help us to see you rightly and respond rightly to you, that would compel us to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, this good news that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We need you. We look to you to lead and guide us this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 read, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. So here we see Paul writing to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi. And in Paul's opening of this letter, he makes it abundantly clear that he cares deeply for the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. He lets us know that in all his remembering of them, he's thankful. And he lets us know that in all of his prayers for them, it's filled with joy. So Paul is thankful for the believers, and he has joy in his heart for these believers. And he lets us know the reason why. In verse 5, he says, it's because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So these believers have heard the word of God. They received it. They believed it. And they made a confession of faith that they trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But they also have remained faithful from that first time that they received and believed the word until now. And so Paul's fondness for these believers in Philippi is birthed out of their faithfulness for God and the gospel. You have been faithful from the first day until now. And so as I remember you, thinking of your faithfulness, I'm thankful. As I'm praying for you, remembering your faithfulness, your partnership in the gospel, I'm filled with joy to know that you are continuing to fight the good fight of faith. They're persisting in their partnership with God in the gospel. And this persisting partnership causes Paul to be thankful and to be joyful, but it also causes Paul to be confident in their salvation. And we see that in verse 6. Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, what we need to understand before we go any further is that Paul's confidence is founded in who God is and what he has done. So Paul's confidence in the salvation of the believers is birthed out of the faithfulness of God. Paul understands the teachings of Jesus, that this partnership that the believers in Philippi have come into is only the result of a loving God who would graciously pursue his people and invite them into partnership with him. So Paul says this work, this good work that he began in you. And Jesus teaches his followers that this partnership that we've been invited into is only the result of God drawing us to himself. We did not stumble 
on the gospel. We did not reach some higher state of intellectualism that has caused us to figure out the gospel. It's because we have a loving and gracious God who calls us into partnership with himself. And so the words of Jesus captured in John, the gospel according to John, chapter 6, starting at verse 44, teaches us that this truly, this partnership begins with God, the one who calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will, be, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God, Jesus he has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus says he came down from heaven to give his life so that believers, those who believe in him, might have eternal life. And for those who would come to believe in Jesus, he says it's the Father who draws them to himself. So this faith that the saints in Philippi have is the result of a gracious and loving father who sent his only son to be the bread of life so that we now can enter into partnership with him. So Paul says, he who began a good work in you, this work that's begun in the saints in Philippi and in you and me are the result of God's love, his grace, and his mercy. It is him who will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul also writes, and we can understand that God is faithful to keep those who commit themselves to him. So Paul understands the faithfulness of God. He's confident that he who began a good work will complete that work at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul lets us know that it's right verse 7, for him to feel this way about the saints in Philippi. It's right for him to think this. It's right for him to believe confidently that the believers in Philippi would have eternal life, that they will be with God for all of eternity. And he tells us why he has this confidence, why it's right for him to think this way, that they will be with God for all eternity. He says it's because you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Because you all are co-partners, that's what this word partakers can be translated to understand, you are co-partners with me in fighting the good fight of faith. I've heard your confession, but I've also seen your demonstration of your faith. And I've seen it two ways, Paul says. I've seen it in my imprisonment. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the saints in Philippi from a Roman prison. So if he's writing this letter back to get to Philippi, it doesn't mean that all the saints in Philippi are with him in the Roman prison. What he's communicating is, is that they have met his felt needs. We'll see it later on as we get to chapter 4 that Epaphroditus have brought a care package. 
So they're supporting Paul while he's in prison. So you are co-partners with me in prison. You have met my felt needs. But not only are you partnering with me in prison by caring for me in the advancement of the gospel, he says you have also upheld God's truth. You are defenders of the truth of God's word alongside me. He says, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. This word defense is to defend verbally. He's saying that you are refuting false teaching. And this confirmation of the gospel, he means you're upholding sound doctrine. Right? So you are lovers of God's word. So I've seen it for myself. Paul says, I've seen your faith lived out. It's not just words that you're speaking. Oh, I'm a Christian. No, I've seen your faith. You've been co-partners with me. You have labored alongside me. So it's right for me to feel this way. You have been persisting in this partnership. So of course I'm going to believe that confidently you will be with God for all eternity because you're walking in obedience to the Lord. And now what's interesting from here is that Paul goes on to let the believers in Philippi know how he's praying for them. And what Paul doesn't communicate in this prayer is, hey, guys, you have been persisting in this partnership. Just take it easy. Play it safe. Be comfortable. Wait it out until God returns. You've done enough. We're good. I'll go ahead and go to some other places. Just wait until Jesus returns. That's not what Paul communicates. Paul is thankful for the believers. He's joyful in his prayers for them. He's confident in their salvation because they are persisting in their partnership. And Paul's prayer for them is that they would continue to pursue Christ, that they would continue to persist in their partnership. Here in verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul's prayer is that their love, again, this is not something he's telling them you got to go find or you have to go figure out. It's a love that you possess, that your love may abound, may grow more and more. This word love in the Greek is agape. It is a divine love. It speaks to uh, preferring what God desires. We could understand it to mean a desire to do what pleases God. So Paul is saying that this divine love that you have for God, your desire to do what pleases God, my prayer is that it grows more and more. But he says how it's to grow. With knowledge and all discernment. This word with can be properly understood as in. So within or inside of. If I could paint a picture that will probably do it no justice, but picture a pot knowledge picture the soil all discernment and this love is growing more and more within this nurturing environment of knowledge and all discernment so Paul is not saying this is a dictatorship where you better love him more and more or else no he's saying I my prayer is that your love the love that you have your desire to please him will grow more and more in your knowledge and your understanding, this word knowledge is a contact knowledge. It's a, an experiential knowing. In other words, it communicates a personal and intimate relationship with God. Not to say that it does not include some intellectual understanding because in order to know someone personally, you would have to have some understanding of who they are. But it's talking also about a personal interaction where I know you for myself. I've experienced, I've tasted and seen, God, you're good. 
So my prayer is that your love would grow more and more in the knowledge, in the experiential knowing that you have of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and with all discernment. So I want you to know his character, and I want you to know all discernment, all understanding or perception is what this word discernment is communicating. So I want you to know his person and his character and his commands or his cause. I want you to know him personally, right? So then my desire to please him is birthed out of a relationship with him. And if I understand his cause, all discernment, then I will be able to approve what is excellent, I'll be able to test to know what it is that pleases God. And because now I have all discernment and I understand what pleases God and I have a personal relationship with God, then my love for God is going to continue to grow more and more because I'm getting to know him more and more. Persist in this. And then Paul goes on to say that if you are doing this, you will be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness, which is salvation, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this can create a little bit of confusion for for some because on one hand, we just read just a moment ago that Paul says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. So he's confident that you're going to be with God for all eternity. But now here he is letting them know that I'm praying for you, that your desire to please your creator would grow more and more so you might be pure and blameless when Jesus Christ returns. So hold on now. Am I good right here, right now? Or do I need to keep doing some things to be good later? Like, which one is it? And that's where the tension can come in sometimes because we've heard some things and and I won't be able to unpack it all the way that I'd like to. So if there's a little bit of confusion, come and see me afterwards. But there's this argument of once saved, always saved. And I'm not going to refute that if, in fact, you are saved. Right now, John understands this just like Paul does, this persisting in partnership. So Paul understands that how you start the race matters. Right? You need to believe, you need to receive, you need to confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord. How you run the race matters. Be faithful. But also how you end the race matters. Be faithful through the finish. And so Paul understands that you have been persisting in partnership. And that makes me thankful. That fills me with joy. That fills me with confidence of your salvation. And now I want you to know I'm praying that you would love more and more so that you can be pure and blameless, so that you might finish well. Because what happens if you don't finish well? Well, the scriptures let us know here in 1 John chapter 2. Read a little bit here, verse 18 through 25. Why would Paul pray that the believers would continue to persist in partnership, even though he's been so encouraged and blessed by their faithfulness already? Children. This is another disciple and apostle of Jesus Christ. It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. 
and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So John, writing to the believers in the dispersion, lets them know, hey, listen, there are those who at one point were a part of this gathering, but they went out from us. And Paul is saying they went out from us so that it might be plainly seen that they were never a part of us. Like, hold on, Paul. John, you just said that they went out from us, but they were never a part of us. But if they went out from us, weren't they a part of us? No. Because if they were a part of us here in verse 19, they would have continued with us. So you can be in the room. But how do you know that you are, in fact, a part of the family of faith? You will continue. You will persist in this partnership. And so if someone after 20 years renounces the faith, according to 1 John and our understanding of this passage, like they were never a part of us. Hold on, they've been here for 20 years. Now, see, if they were a part of us, they would have continued with us to the end. And we understand this. No one signs up for the Woodlands Marathon and gets their number badge and then enters the race and starts running and then stops halfway through. I mean, 13.1. You did a half marathon. That was a good job. And then you just kind of walk off the course, and then you go to the end of the race. You say, hey, I'd like my medal for the marathon. Thank you. Somebody is with me in the room. At least, that's right. That's silly. You know what's going to happen. No, uh, ma'am, sir, I'm sorry. You don't get a medal. No, look, I got my number. Yeah, you didn't finish. You only get a a medal if you finish the race. I mean, but I ran 13.1 solid. I'm talking about I got cramps and everything. I was going hard all the way through. I just passed out. I just couldn't finish it. But please, just, just let me get my medal. No. You have to finish the race. You would have continued through the end. And then once you did 26.2, now, well done. Here goes your medal that will rust in a little while and your body will hurt for many days after. But you have finished the race, right? And so in the same way, we will continue. And so that's what John goes on to say here in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. This word abide, remain, permanent dwelling, continue, persist. Let what you heard from the beginning, the good work that God began in you, persist in you. If, now here goes a cause and effect, an if-then statement. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, remains, continues, persists, then you too will abide, continue, remain, persist in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, those who persist in partnership, eternal life. So then it makes sense why Paul's prayer for the church, for the believers, the saints in Philippi, who he's thankful for who his heart is filled with joy over, who he says, I am affectionately desirous of you with the affection of Jesus Christ, that his prayer for them would be that your love would grow more and more. Don't be complacent. 
Don't pursue comfort. Continue to go hard for God so you may be pure and blameless, that you might finish well. I'm so grateful that you've started the race. Just warms my heart. It does me great encouragement and just satisfy my soul to know that you are running well. And my prayer is that you would finish strong so that you might experience the fullness of joy, that you might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as I was reading through this passage, this was my prayer, and I mean this sincerely. This was my prayer for this family this week, and I've been praying it every day, and my heart wells up just at the thought of the Lord fulfilling this truth in us. The heartbeat is not to scare anyone straight, right? To make you think, well, if you don't, then you won't. That, I mean, that's true. We read it in 1 John, but my heart's desire is not to scare you into obedience. We don't need obligation in order to obey God. My heart's desire is to help you remember right. And so as I was praying for this family, And looking at this word, my prayer was, Lord, what is the word that we are to leave here with? And what I felt in my heart and what I'm going to share with you in just a moment is to remember rightly the character of God and the cause of God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I do not need to convince you because the good work that God began in you is very real to you. So my prayer is to stir up your love for God. This word, this agape love, it was just a beautiful picture as I was reading over the Greek and looking to just understand it uh, more and more. It's a discriminating affection, which involves selection and choice. This is a beautiful picture. As I, as I look to understand it, the, the relationship that came to mind is my relationship with my, my wife. A discriminating affection. I don't know how many billions of women there may be in the world, but I have a discriminating affection for one. And so I made a vow. It involved selection and choice. I had to say no to a lot of other things, and gladly because I chose this one good thing that God has blessed me with. So now I have a continued discriminating affection because I have chosen to love one. And so I made a vow to love that way. But that vow has to continue. I have to persist in that day after day after day. And so I gladly make that choice over and over again. So this agape love means I have a discriminating affection. There's no other God that I choose to look after or to long for. I have made a choice. Out of all the other idols, all of the other gods, I've selected this one. Why did I do that? Why did you do that? Well, it's not just because me and myself, I have figured it out, I have stumbled on the gospel, and I don't believe that's true for any of you. We have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior because of the one who began a good work in us. And so I just want to remind us for a moment of the character of a loving God who rescued you out of darkness and called you into his marvelous light. And my prayer is that your discriminating affection might be stirred up so that the things that might distract us to want to pursue something else, to maybe want to disconnect from our persisting partnership with the Lord would seem as rubbish 
as we will see Paul say later on in the letter to the church in Philippi, and that we might long for the knowledge of the excellency of the only one who can satisfy our souls. Paul, David, in Psalm 103, does a masterful job under the leading of the Holy Spirit summarizing the character of God. And my prayer, I didn't bring it up on the screen. If you have a Bible and you want to turn to Psalm 103 and read along, that's fine. But if you would, just give it a thought maybe, close your eyes and listen as I read over Psalm 103. Just, again, you can read along. I don't want to make you feel bad for looking at the scriptures. I'm not going to misread it, though, just so you know. But if you don't mind closing your eyes and just listening to the character of God, My prayer is that our affections will be stirred anew. I was going to read a section of it, but I'm just going to read the whole psalm. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obey, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the character of our creator. An experiential knowing a personal relationship of a God who forgives, who heals, who redeems, who satisfies, of a God who's merciful and gracious, 
patient, abounding in steadfast love, of a God who shows compassion, of a God who does righteousness for his children and their children's children. If you've come to know him this way, I don't have to try to convince you to desire to please him more and more. As I'm reminded of who he is and what he's done in my life, I know that 2022 may have been hard. I understand it. And while I'm all for traditions and practices and customs, and I think it's right as we go into a new year, if it stirs up your affections to think through how the Lord is leading you in this new year, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But what causes our souls to be stirred up? It can't be the new year, because let's just be honest, hopefully this doesn't burst your bubble too much, but if you've lived a little while, you're not going to be fooled. 2023 is not going to be the year. This is the one. We said that in 2020. The year of perfect vision. Anybody can see clearly? Right, no. Come March, like the year of blind, like what just happened? All plans change. So let's just be honest. January 1 of 2023 is not, this is not the lead-in to where all hopes and dreams come true. By the time you get to February, your diet gone. Your workout plans, like why did I even pay for this membership? You know what's going to happen. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. And I don't want to burst your bubble to say don't look to pursue and to do things well. But I'm saying that can't be our hope. That can't be our confidence. It's not going to be in the new year. It's going to be in the character of a loving God who rescued us from sin, death, and the grave. And if we can understand this truth, then when, not if, when it gets hard, because it's going to get hard. At some point, we are going to be reminded that we have not yet made it to heaven, that this is not our home. There are trials and tribulations. And again, just because the clock struck 12 and we're in January 1, some of the challenges that I experienced in 2022, well, they're still present in 2023. They didn't just clear and we're starting fresh. However, his mercies are new every morning. Right? And so when I think of how great his faithfulness is, his steadfast love that's from everlasting to everlasting. When I'm reminded of a God who I have come to know personally, does that not cause your discriminative affection to start to be drawn back to him? Like I was starting to look for it in some other places. I thought that it might come through here. Like as the year went along, I was like, you know what, this, this is not working so well, so let me try some things here. And I start to find myself maybe chasing after some shiny objects. Well, today the Lord has sent me to give a reminder that there's only one that can satisfy your soul. There's only one who can renew your strength like the eagles. There's only one. And you know that one. You've come to know him. But when you get punched in the mouth, sometimes it's hard to see clearly. So you need a little bit of smelling salt to just wake us up and remember who he is. And so that's all I'm looking to do this morning. I'm not looking to teach something new. Say, Michael, yeah, I knew this already. Great. Then like Paul and Peter, it's good for you that I would spend time reminding us of who God is, reminding us of his character. Because if we can hold on to this truth, if we can recite it, this can be our song like David, Psalm 103, and I could remember, then you know what I say? I know that I may be hurting. I know that I may be going through. But bless the Lord, O oh my soul, 
Remember all his benefits. He's a good God, and he does all things well. So I'm not going to allow what I'm going through to define how I pursue. I'm going to persist in this partnership because my heart has been captivated by a creator that would pursue me and invite me into partnership. So I'm not going to quit on God. You want a New Year's resolution? Great. Here you go. Be faithful to the fellowship. Right? Keep coming. I was sharing this this morning as it was weighing on my heart in a beautiful way as I woke up and was meditating on the word of God. Today, the first day of the year, we're in the gathering of believers. There will be 365 days in this year if the Lord should say the same. I didn't go and count each Sunday, but about 52, maybe 56. I think there are four fifth Sundays in the year. So just for the sake of argument, let's say 56. But out of 50, out of 365 days, 56 will be spent in a gathering with believers worshiping God. If someone else can do the math for me and come and let me know so that I can use it in the next sermon illustration. However many hours there are in the year, how many hours do we spend in corporate worship praising our creator? It's a fraction. And that's not to say, so we need to spend at least X number of hours. No, what I'm saying is if we understand how precious this time is, right, it's like a rare jewel. No one looks at a diamond and then says, oh, that's worthless, and you throw it away like it's a pebble. No, because we don't walk through the streets just shifting through diamonds. When you understand how precious that jewel is, you're like, hold on, I need to put that in something and, and keep it. And you'll spend $1,000 for something you can barely, you got to get the big magnifying glass to see. Well, how much more precious is this rare opportunity to gather with the believers Right, so we want to pursue his presence. Let's continue in this fellowship. And I'm not going to get dogmatic. They're vacations. Sometimes you don't feel well. But as much as it's within you, don't settle for live stream. Look, I'm grateful for technology and that it allowed us to be able to connect and share the word of God when we were quarantining. The quarantine has been lifted. Newsflash. We can now gather together. When you sneeze, please use your sneeze pocket still just to be cautious. But we can gather together, right? So I can't say, you know what, I don't feel like it. I'll just catch it on Monday. No, there's something beautiful that happens when the people of God come together, right? It's a rare jewel that I want to capture as often as I can. And just to drive the home point a little bit more, think about how many practices you'll take your kids to this year if you have children. Think about how many days you'll go into the office. We're talking about a fraction and maybe for about an hour and a half to come in fellowship. Just trying to stir it up just a little bit. That's all. Right, because there's no one else that can satisfy. The Lord promises to meet his people in this place. What space do you want to find yourself in on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Sign me all the way up. I'll get there at 945 because I'm expectant. Right, if I know his character, who he is, and what he does, what do I do? I continue to pursue. But I also want to remind us of his cause so that we can, with all discernment, with understanding, be able to approve what's excellent so that what we do is actually what pleases God. Don't make it up yourself. You can't say, well, I think God would like this. No. Ask him what he would like. And he tells us, right, it would be silly for me to sit here and think, you know what? 
I'm just going to pick on her because she's my sister and she'll forgive me. I, like, I see Megan. You're like, you know, I think Megan would like, you know, roses. Megan doesn't like roses. Do you like roses, Megan? See? <clears throat> That's why I knew to call on her. Like, but I like roses. So I'm going to get Megan roses. Like, That's silly. I need to ask Megan, what you like? What do you like, Megan? Anything but roses. Mitch, get her anything but roses. Thank you. You know, and, the, and then you get her anything but, and she's like, wow, I really appreciate this. Right? I need to understand what's going to be pleasing to the person and then do what pleases them. Right? And so we want to look at the cause of Christ so that we can make sure that we approve what's excellent, what God says is good, and stop making up stuff thinking that we're doing what God says is good. He makes it very plain. Here in Mark chapter 12. Verses 28, I'm going to start reading from and read through verse 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well. Asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In a word, the cause of Christ is love. Love God and love others with the love with which you've been loved. Right? And if you need to be reminded of that love, go back and read over Psalm 103. It's a steadfast love. From everlasting to everlasting. It doesn't fade. It doesn't wane. It doesn't grow thin because of what other people are doing. It's a full and vibrant love that's birthed out of a love that I've received. The good work which he began in me, this love that I've experienced for myself, now I'm to live that love out. And how does that translate in our day-to-day life as we persist in this partnership? Don't make anything greater than love. Don't make anything greater than love. Don't make your desire to be right greater than love. Don't make a desire to prove yourself greater than love. Because you know how it can get. The very thing that God calls you to do, but you don't do it in the way that he calls you to do it. Now you're frustrated, annoyed, bothered, because everybody isn't doing what you want, when you want, how you want. Hold on, how do I lean into that? Do I say, well, if they would just listen well, then I could love right. No, think about the love with which you've been loved. While you were in your trespasses and sin. This was a love that pursued you in your mess. Right? And so there's some of us that may this morning have to be reminded of that so that we can forgive some people who may not have been so loving to us. Because if we're going to live out the cause of Christ, there is no room for holding grudges. There is no room for retaliation, getting even. There is no room to be jealous and vindictive. No, I am to love. Who? Love those who love me? No, the Lord says even the sinners do that. Love those who hate you, who persecute you, who despitefully, wickedly use you. All right. Like, but when you say, like, love them, like, do you mean love? Love them. Love them the same way that God loves you. They're not deserving of it, and neither was I. But he loved me. And that's the cause that God has lived out in our lives. That's the good work he began in us, and that's what we're to partner with him in. Right? So it makes sense then that Paul is crying out to God on behalf of the saints in Philippi, saying, it's my prayer. That your love, your desire to please God 
would abound, would grow more and more inside of this pot and this soil, an experiential knowing of who he is because you're experiencing for him for yourself and in understanding what he's called you to, this love that makes no sense and that you would then live out that love so that you might be pure and blameless at the day of Christ. Live out the love that you've received. This is what a gospel culture looks like. We are a people who persist in partnership with our creator. Not because you're egging me on to do it. Not because you will give me applause or appreciate me if I do it. But because of who God is and what he's done in my life. I'm going to continue to partner with him. And so as we launch out into 2023, my prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want to invite the praise team back up. And I want us to take a few moments to go before the Lord with honest reflection and prayer. Are there some things that have caused the way that we live love to look differently? Have you found yourself going through in 2022 in such a way that you became a little less responsive to the love of God? And that's okay. Again, it gets hard. There's no high horse that anyone can stand on. This is not a scared straight. This is prayerfully to remember rightly who God is, what he's done, so that we can stay in partnership with him. So if we need to this morning, forgive. Please forgive. If you're hurting and you're going through, don't try to hide it. Ask for help. That's why this fellowship is so important. But for us who remember rightly who God is, then there's only one right response, that our desire to please him would grow more and more. And so I want to encourage you, charge you, challenge you this year to really be intentional to live love, to continue to partner with God, persist in this partnership. Don't let anyone or anything distract you from going hard for God. Don't let the hurt cause you to feel like it's not worth it. It's abundantly, abundantly worth it. Right? Okay, I have a few more minutes. Okay, good. I just, I just feel this encouragement in my soul, I'm, and I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give us some time to pray. But I just feel to, to share this real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to leave it alone, but I was like, but this is, this is on my heart. Paul, right to the church in Corinth. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We look not to the things that are seen, 
but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul lets us know that he doesn't lose heart, even though he's going through it. And if you read back a little bit further in in chapter 4, he says that we're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. He's going through some things, but he said we don't lose heart because these light and momentary afflictions aren't worthy to be compared to the exceeding eternal weight and glory, right? So this reality of what awaits us gives us the strength to walk through hardships well. It gives us the strength to finish well, right? To stay faithful through the finish, persist in this partnership through the end. No, I know I got a cramp and it hurts. I saw a video clip of someone who was running a marathon. They got right to the end and something happened where it looked like they had failure in their body and they fell to the ground. But they must have been like the point two miles away. Someone came to help them. They moved them away. The person literally crawled and then rolled across the finish line. I mean, this is no exaggeration for effect. You can Google it. Look it up on YouTube. Crawling, rolling, race finisher maybe. But that's how intense it was. Like, I am going to finish well. Right? And so sometimes we get cramped. Sometimes we feel the hurt. Sometimes we feel the pain. Perplexed crushed, persecuted, feeling all of that. But what caused us not to lose heart? Remembering who God is and what he's done and that the one who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day the Lord returns. So can we this day for this year just kind of make a a re-confession maybe if you need to with Lord I'm going to run. I'm going to run well for you. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to get weary in well-doing. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, not because of my strength, but because of your grace. I will persist in this partnership. And so for a few moments, whatever that may be for you, Again, I believe the Holy Spirit is real. It's going to be something different for every one of you. So if I didn't specifically name something that meets you in that personal place, the Holy Spirit named it. You know what it is. Let's take that to him. Let's hand that over to a God whose steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting. And then as we prepare our hearts and minds to sing his praise, let us sing that praise with a heart full of joy that while I'm hurting, I've got help that will see me through to the end. And so I will persist in this partnership. So for the next couple of minutes, if you feel so moved, you can stand, you can kneel. Uh, Let us go before the throne of grace personally with thanksgiving in our hearts, trusting that the Lord hears us and helps us.